Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. This message is from the series, The Book of Acts, The Church Then and Now, and was preached on September 10th, 2023. Honestly, we have a very tough passage to deal with. I mean, they're, they're just beautiful passages in the Bible, and today's kind of a scary one. It's Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. So the, the, I'm going to have to be serious. Let me start with a little bit of fun. Um, football season starts today, NFL. And right now, and I probably, you know, I don't get many chances to say this, right now my team, the Raiders, are undefeated. Right now the Cardinals are undefeated. Right now 31 of the 32 NFL teams are undefeated. Sorry, Kansas City chumps, but that's just the way that it is right now. Um, But I probably won't be able to say those things next week, so I had to get it out today. Our picture on our, our, our screen today is from Brookings, Oregon. Don and I were on vacation in a um, walk. We thought we saw in the trees a beautiful church. And so we walked over to it and were able to, to go inside. To be honest, it's not a church. It's a memorial building in memory of a famous movie producer's wife. Not everything that looks like a church is one. Not all who look like disciples of Jesus are. Architecturally and biblically, there are many lookalikes. Hypocrisy is rampant. We're in a section of the book of Acts that reminds us that church life and the Christian life are not easy. Persecutions, obstacles, temptations, challenges, and internal church issues such as hypocrisy and financial scandals and breaches of unity occurred in the early church and they still occur now. Now, now understand, we've seen in the book of Acts that early on, the church experienced incredible victory. They had seen the resurrected Jesus. They had some final meetings and teachings with Jesus. They were there at the ascension. They saw Jesus ascend into heaven with the promise that he would return. They received the the great commission They experienced Pentecost. There were amazing spiritual gifts as God gave them the ability to speak in languages they had never studied and didn't know. There were thousands of conversions. A baptismal service with 3,000 people in it. Man, I would have paid to go to that worship service just to participate in that. Healings, incredible unity, and love on a level that's rarely been seen in human life. And then, bam, actually, bam, 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 six times in six chapters, trouble hit the early church. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, Peter and John were arrested and commanded to be quiet and stop preaching Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, that we'll read today, The church experienced a financial scandal and realized there was hypocrisy in the church. Later in Acts chapter 5, 
more of the apostles were arrested. In Acts chapter 6, cracks in the unity in the church appeared with accusations of racism, favoritism, and unfairness. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, one of the early deacons, was martyred, the first of millions of hate crimes committed against the church. And in Acts chapter 8, persecution became so severe that most of the church members left Jerusalem. I mean, church life is incredible. Following Jesus is a great privilege. But that does not mean that it's always easy. It is a challenge. And we don't want to follow the test. So the issues that we'll read about today are, in one sense, ancient history. They occurred 2,000 years ago. But on the other sense, they're the same kinds of things that happen today. Nearly every week, if you follow church news, you hear of another financial scandal in some church somewhere. Hypocrisy is the number one complaint leveled against today's church, and with good reason, because hypocrisy is real. It's almost an epidemic. So we're going to read today's passage. I'm going to start in the end of Acts chapter 4. This is going to tell us how incredible church life was. And then we transition into Acts chapter 5, a very scary passage in which God judged quickly and severely. Let's stand together as we read. Beginning with Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 32. And here's how it reads. Another one of those incredible summary statements on how incredible church life was, beginning here. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, 
and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. You may be seated, and I think you can see why great fear would seize the whole church. <clears throat> it was, and it is even today, a very unusual story. God does not normally judge that quickly or that severely, but there are precedents in the Bible. You may remember in the Old Testament era, the new nation of Israel experienced <clears throat> excuse me, a great victory at Jericho. You remember the story? Learned about it in Sunday school, maybe even sang the song, the walls came tumbling down, and they, they won a great victory. After the victory, they sinned. They sinned at a town named Ai, and God judged the nation very quickly and very severely. In the Old Testament, a new nation experiencing victory needed God's judgment to remind him some things. And here in the New Testament era, a new church experiencing victory needed to be reminded of some things. That though God is love and God is forgiving and God cares deeply, God is also holy. And he is a judge. And so he communicated in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, listen, you want to be my people? I'm glad, but I have standards, I have expectations, I have commands, and they are not optional. If you're going to follow me, you can't do it halfway, you can't do it partway. Hypocrisy, looking like my people, but not actually being my people, will lead to judgment and not victory. And so the church had to ask himself, just like what Israel had to ask themselves in the, Old, in, in the Old Testament, are we in or are we out? Are we serious about following God? If not, we better bail out quickly. Because if we are, God has high expectations for us. So we're going to look today at the good, the bad, the scary, and the results of this event. Because I, I want us to learn from it. Following Jesus is the most incredible privilege of my life. But it's a serious thing and not one to enter into lightly. So let's start with the good. And, and this was a very spirit-filled church. They passed the initial test with an A+. Peter and John were arrested and they were commanded to stop preaching Jesus. The church kept preaching Jesus. We talked about that last week. They kept praying. They were still of one heart and one mind. And they cared so deeply for each other that Luke says no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. And so this incredible, generous thing incurred in, in the church. When there was a need, a rich person would step forward and sell a piece of property and take the money and lay it at the apostles' feet who would distribute it to anybody who had a need. And then the apostles, acting with integrity, 
would share it with those who needed it the most. It was an incredible act of generosity and unity. And by the way, that's a good description of a spirit-filled church. Preaching Jesus, no matter what the opposition is, by both the leaders and the members. Powerful prayer by all. Deep, deep, deep generosity. Unity on a level that rarely is seen in human life, but should be seen in the church. Luke now introduces us in this passage to a man with all those characteristics who will become a leader in the church. Joseph, but called by the church leaders Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold the field. He gave the money to the apostles, and he put it at their feet to be distributed wherever there was a need. Joseph, his name. But never again in Scripture is he called Joseph. He's called only by his nickname. And that's probably how you know him, the story of Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, or as it starts off, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. That's how we know him, by his nickname, by his character, by who he was, not by his legal given name, Joseph. So, what's your nickname? What's your nickname? I mean, what people behind your back and to your face call you, or at least think about you. Not, not the name that uh, your mom gave you when you were little, which I would repeat right now, but I'd be afraid you'd all call me that, so I'm not going to give it to you. Because my dad's name was Jack, so I was Little Jack or Jackie. But when people think of you, I mean, I'm talking about your character, who you are. What's your nickname? Barnabas, son of encouragement, a positive guy who loves others, who's generous enough, he helps others. He helped Paul. We'll see that when we get to that. He was an encouragement to a new young man excited coming into the church, and he helped him into church leadership, and he, he taught him, and he led him and became his partner. Barnabas, the encourager. What's your nickname? When other believers think, what do they think about you? Generous Gene? Grumpy George, hardworking Harry, lazy Larry, praying Paul, critical Carmen, complaining Claire. Fortunately, in this spirit-filled church, there was no reason for negative nicknames because they were all working for Jesus, united in heart and mind. until the next chapter. So that's the good. That's what we want to be, a spirit-filled church full of people like Joseph or Barnabas who will help and encourage and serve and give because they love Jesus. But then we see the bad. Chapter 5 introduces the bad hypocrisy. Ananias and Sapphira 
sold property, set aside some money for themselves, and gave the rest to the church. Now understand, that in and of itself was not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. As Peter told them when he confronted them, hey, it was your property. You had the right to do whatever you wanted. When you sold it, it was your money. You could do whatever you wanted with the money. Their sin was that they pretended to give it all away. Their hypocrisy was that they worked very hard to make themselves look good and to be more generous than they really were. They were more concerned with looking good than being good. You can evaluate their reasoning. Maybe they saw the acclaim that others had received. Look how they applaud Barnabas. And maybe they wanted that same kind of applause. Maybe it was jealousy. Listen, Barnabas is no better than we are. Maybe it was pride. We should be in church leadership. Not him, not them. But the bottom line is hypocrisy. They worked harder at looking good than at being good. Listen, hypocrites and frauds are everywhere. Not just in in the Christian church. $20 bills, $100 bills, are widely counterfeited. They're everywhere. Fake watches, handbags, jewelry are sold in stores and on the internet, trying to make them look like something valuable when they're cheap. Grandkids are great, but I hope all you grandparents have heard about the latest fraudsters. These Agents of fraud are calling grandparents pretending to be grandchildren in need. Grandma, Grandma, I need some help. Can you send money to? I need it right away. Pretending to be what they're not. George MacDonald, a mentor of C.S. Lewis, said... Half of the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. Think about that, because it's true. Half of the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. Ananias, by the way, means God is gracious. Sapphira means beautiful but their names didn't fit. She is remembered not for beauty, but for an ugly heart. Ananias, God is gracious, had to learn that God is holy. Their name said one thing. Their lives said another. I mean, bottom line, they wanted to look good in the eyes of the church instead of working hard to be good. And that's the definition of hypocrisy. I mean, I mean, all of us sin, but the honest people, the real believers, the Christians, the disciples, go before Jesus and confess it and repent of it and change their ways. Hypocrites work to hide it. 
I don't want the church to know what I'm really like. I want the church to see me smiling, looking like I'm serving Jesus, and not know who I really am. It's easy to condemn them. But what about us? Are we who we pretend to be when we're at church? Do we mean all the spiritual words we use when we pray? We sing the songs. Do we mean them? Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Is that true? Or is it the words we just sing in church? I mean, we have to be careful because hypocrisy is everywhere and it's so easy to allow it into our own lives. The good, a spirit-filled church, almost destroyed by Ananias and Sapphira, but God dealt with it. Do Jesus' words, quoting from the prophet Isaiah, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Could that be a good description of today's American church? I'm afraid that it is in many ways. We go to church. We know how to put on the smiles. We set aside the bad words, the bad habits, at least for an hour or two on Sunday morning. We sing the songs. We pray the prayers. We say amen at all the right times. But are we really, is that really who we are? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I told you this was a serious sermon. What God did on this day was serious and very scary because God judged. Now, this is not always the way God does it. He doesn't always judge this quickly and this severely. But the church needed a lesson right up front. Yes, God is kind. Yes, God is gracious. Yes, God is forgiving. But God is a kind, gracious, and forgiving judge. And he decided to show the church right up front. First with Ananias, who died right there in front of the church. I'm serious about this. This is not a game. Are you following me or are you not? And then Peter and God gave Sapphira, who had not been in there when Ananias died, Peter gave her a chance. Is this the money that you gave me and said was the price of the land? Is this really what you sold the land for? She could have told the truth. There could have been an opportunity for repentance and forgiveness. She could have come clean and said, no, 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 I'm so sorry. But she didn't. She lied and she died. Again, in front of the whole church. So I want you to hear something clearly. God does not always judge that quickly and that severely. There are usually many more opportunities for repentance, and God is willing to accept repentance 
and forgiveness. But he is still a judge. And there is an end at some point to his patience. When he decides it's now time for a verdict and a sentence. We don't know that time. So we take care of our sins while we can. And we repent and we come to faith in him while we can. Because we don't know tomorrow, we don't even know the rest of the day. He was quick this time because the church was still in their infancy. And they needed to know the full character of God. Lest they get sloppy with their integrity and the entire church. (coughs) If hypocrisy became the standard, the entire church could have died in the very first generation. And so God said, this is real. I almost always, you know this about me. I almost always emphasize God's grace and love and forgiveness because that's what the Bible emphasizes. But I would not be faithful to the word if I did not warn you that God is also a judge. And I'd much rather you and I call upon his love and forgiveness now rather than wait for judgment tomorrow. And I pray that you'll do that while there's still time. I don't normally see people keel over dead in church because of God's judgment. But that does not mean that God is not a judge. And we need to be reminded of that. God's judgment, by the way, did obtain the intended result. Holy fear seized the whole church. They woke up and they realized this is not a game. They knew that God expected real holiness. They knew if they didn't already that the Jesus way of life is not a suggestion but a command. And they learned what we need to be reminded of today. That God can and will judge an individual, a church, or a nation. This was more than a wake-up call. This was like a sonic boom in the middle of an otherwise quiet night. Saying, God is serious. This is not a game. We don't go to church just to be seen. We don't pretend to be generous when we're not. We don't sing about holiness when we have no intention of seeking to live a holy life. And so great fear seized the church as they realized This is who God is. He has saved us. He has changed us. And he wants us to live his way. So are you awake? Are you listening? Do you understand the importance of what I'm talking to you about? You and I need to live in that same sense of holy fear. Not not cowering, trembling fear of God. But the understanding that when God called me and I said, yes, I will follow you, he expected me to follow him all the way. Maybe our generation, and I'm talking primarily of the American church, maybe our generation needs another sonic boom of judgment. I don't sense much in the way of holy fear like the Jerusalem church experienced. 
The American church has forgotten our calling. We have placed more importance on looking good than being good. We have become judges of the world rather than judges of ourselves. We have stopped preaching personal holiness. We have allowed petty differences to separate us. We have become more, we have become more interested in convincing people of our politics than of persuading people to follow Jesus. We only pray diligently when someone we know is sick. And we ignore the spiritually sick all around us. Maybe we need that sonic boom so that we can live in holy fear. So what does God want? What does God want from Avondale Baptist Church? He wants us to be a spirit-filled church, first of all, as evidenced by our unity. We love each other. We care about each other. We stop the personal pettiness of, of picking on each other and putting each other down. He wants it to be evidenced by our generosity. We care for each other and no one is going to do without if it has anything to do with me. And holiness. We live like Jesus. We don't just talk about it. We do it. God wants us to be a spirit-filled church. And he wants us to be fully committed to the Jesus way of life. Living in holy fear. If nothing else, I want you to get today that, that God wants us to, to understand. Listen. I saved you. I forgave you. I called you. I asked you to follow me. You said yes. Did you mean it? Did you mean it? Don't tell me you're trying. When it comes to living for Jesus, you're in or you're out. Do or do not. There is no try. You remember that line? Yoda. But you and I got to decide. When I said yes to Jesus, did I mean it? I mean all the way? Nothing's stopping me? Yes. I hope you can say that today. And I hope you mean it. This is a serious sermon. I do not apologize for that. Because this is a serious passage. Great fear seized the church when they realized God is serious. And I'm sharing with you today, God is serious. Let's stand together, and if you mean it, tell Him yes. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net, and you can find Pastor Jack's sermons on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.